Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. about it who are we really as individuals or humans we're not our money obviously we're not our clothes we're not our possessions but even deeper we're not really our personality hey folks this is mark divine welcome back to the unbeatable mind podcast i am super stoked today to welcome james l tutcher on the show i'm going to tell you more about james and man i'm really excited to you know to have this conversation with him we have so much uh, in common and so much that's different about us that it's just going to be a really fascinating conversation. And, uh, but before I go back into, uh, deeper into James' background, um, just to remind you, if you haven't heard, I released a book called Staring Down the Wolf on March 2nd. Of course, it got completely devoured by the news cycle with COVID-19. And so I haven't been able to really do much PR around it, uh, which is kind of interesting, but that's okay. It just is what it is. The book is very timely because it, it really is um, speaking to how to stare down your fear to develop courageous leadership and to unlock the potential of your team. And I've gotten some phenomenal feedback on it. You can learn more at staringdownthewolf.com and there is also some free video training there. So go check it out. Staring Down the Wolf, it might be uh, the tool you need right now as we're dealing with COVID. 19, the real pandemic, and the government's response, the scamdemic. <laughs> I agree so, with that. That's a great word. Thanks, James. You can, can have it. No, no extra charge. So, James, by the way, James and I have not met in person, but I'm very familiar with James's work. I actually get your newsletter, James, and I'll tell you how that came about. James is the author of Choose Yourself, gosh, which is self-published and sold like well over a million copies. Um, the subtitle is Power of No, which is a topic near and dear to me since I was one of those codependents who say yes to way too many things. A Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth. Oh, Power of No was a separate book. Choose Yourself Guide to Wealth and Reinvent Yourself. Gosh, you've written 20 books? Oh, yeah. Shit. And I always swear to myself, I'm never going to write another book. And then <laughs> I write another book. You write another book. That's, why, that's, like, that. that's like you with black belts. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I'm getting another one right now because I can't stop. Uh, you got a huge podcast and blog at jamesaltucher.com. You founded more than 20 companies. I got some catching up to do. I've written uh, five books and I've founded five companies. I'm just getting warmed up, dude. You're showing well, me that there's probably a lot more yours possible. Are, probably you have a better track record than mine, though. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You know, and you went to school at uh, upstate New York. It was a Cornell undergrad or graduate? Yeah, undergrad. Yeah, I went to Colgate right around the corner. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so... Thanks for being on the show. I know you're you know, running. Also, Mark, hour, but. you're uh, you're you've you've been teacher trained in Ashtanga yoga. Have you right. been to? I've been to Mysore a whole bunch of times doing Ashtanga. Have you really? Yeah. Yeah, did yeah. You ever, did you ever get trained down there? Or, or I uh, have no. But my teacher was uh, Tim Miller, the first American certified by Patabi Joyce. 
Oh yeah, and in um, what is it in, in La Jolla Encinitas. or in Encinitas? There's yeah. the, the, the I I've been there when when Tim's there and um, uh, Patavi Joyce. Uh, I guess is the older brother of Sharath was was teaching. Right, he he's still here. Um, I have not met him, but I did meet Patavi Joyce when he came through. He's an interesting character. Tim just you know retired from teaching. He had some health issues. He is just a phenomenal teacher. So I never, you know, it's always been a dream to get to India to do some actual yoga training, but I've never made it over there. Uh, although yoga is a big part of my life. It's, it's great. How long have you been um, a practitioner? Uh, well, I was doing it probably from 2010 till about 2015. My my wife was a teacher, but then, you know, she's she's not my wife anymore. So I will. I <laughs> there is that. <laughs> So that was that, that extrinsically motivated. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't done a yoga bend since. <laughs> Got it. That's hilarious. But the principles are, are with you wherever you go. That's Absolutely. true yoga, right? Yeah. Wow. There's so much to talk about. I don't know where to start. How about just give us a set. I kind of do this with a lot of my guests. I want to know kind of what was your, what was the foundational period of your life? Like, like what was it like growing up for you? Where did you grow up? You look like you're a New Yorker or you know, from the East Coast quarter, but I, you know, you know where did you grow up and what were your parents like? And how did you start? Like, what was the big aha moment for you to? You know, it's funny you say I, I look, it's funny you say I look like a New Yorker because <laughs> I remember one time I was playing poker in a casino and it was in Las Vegas or wherever. And uh, I, everybody at the table just started calling me New York without knowing where like that was my nickname instantly was New York, even though I hadn't talked to anybody. They just thought That's I was funny. from New York. Well, I lived in New York for four years and, and you, you have kind of a, this, the, the pace that you talk and kind of your, your accent a little bit. And you just kind of look like a New Yorker. Yeah. Are you? Am I right? Yeah. 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 I'm, in, I'm in the middle of New York city right now. Although, you know, it's interesting because I lived right next to the world trade center during nine 11. I was at the world trade center in the morning of nine 11 and oh. I lived on wall street during the 2008-2009 financial crisis. Now, New York City is considered the capital of the world for coronavirus. We have the most cases, you know, yeah. hospitalizations, deaths, whatever. I'm kind of sick of New York right now. I like, hear you. <laughs> I think it's three times in a row being at ground zero. I don't need to be, I don't need to be the greatest generation. I need to just relax a little bit. <laughs> it doesn't so. seem fair. You know, yeah. I, I agree. I was thinking I'm, maybe I heard someone else say that. I was like, yeah, you're right. 9-11, 2008, and now this. Like, New York has gotten smacked. Not to mention the flood, right? With that big flood, Stony something. That uh, was kind of a beatdown. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, and it's funny because, you know, I wish, I wish actually 20 years ago I had people like you and other people I know, you know, other you know, people who have been high performance, uh, uh, really disciplined, organized, you know, you've been able to command elite units and, you know, do things that are, are remarkable. And 20 years ago, I was, I had sold my first company, I had made a lot of money. And then somehow or other, I just lost all discipline. I, I spent all my money. I gambled it away. I in, invested in other internet. I, I completely cashed out of an internet company. And then I decided like an idiot, oh, well, I'm just going to put it all back into investing in internet companies. Mm -hmm. And I just, then the internet bubble crashed and I went totally broke. I went from, you know, 
generations of money to mm-hmm. zero. I had, I remember one time I checked my ATM account and I had $143 left in mm-hmm. my account after having just cashed out a lot of money. And mm-hmm. I had one kid, I had another kid on the way. I was losing my home because I was right next to where the World Trade Center was. And so no, I was in the crime scene, my house. And so nobody was even allowed to visit my house. I couldn't sell my house and I couldn't afford the mortgage. And then it, I, 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 you know, I was so just in despair and depressed from everything that was happening, not only in, in the city at the time, but just in my personal life and my financial life. I, I felt like I would never recover. I felt like I had won the lottery and then I lost it. Right. And then I, uh, you know, I finally eventually, you know, came back, built another business, sold that. And then I went broke completely again. <laughs> and I, I, I'm like, how could this happen to me? Again? That, that's like every, I mean, unless you're just freaking darn lucky, like every super successful person I've ever met or talked to has had to learn this lesson several times over. You know, I've gotten kicked in the ball several times and had, my issue is usually getting it stolen from me, right? So <laughs> how, do you get it, how, do you get it, how do you get it stolen from you? Tell me. By, by uh, uh, trusting the wrong people, mm. you know, trusting the wrong. So I had a, a, a huge contract. Well, that wasn't so much trust. That was just flat out fraud. So I had a, a Blackwater. You've heard of the company Blackwater? Yeah. 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 Billion dollar company, Eric Prince. He's in the news quite a bit. Um, interesting cat, former Navy SEAL. And I had uh, legitimately won this contract to set up a nationwide recruiting and men- or mentoring program for Navy SEAL candidates. Like that's a big freaking deal, you know, yeah. mentoring the future warriors of our most elite spec ops. Well, Eric Prince was really pissed because this little tiny upstart company out of nowhere, Encinitas, you know, one beat Blackwater out, right? The hundred pounder gorilla in government contracting for, you know, spec ops type things. So, I heard he was pissed and that he was coming after us. And he did like, he literally wielded his little influence machine and somehow got the contract thrown out. I was a sub to the prime. The prime got investigated for being too large, you know, to, to even bid on the contract. And I guess right in that time frame, they had kind of clicked over next thing you know, the contract gets thrown out and, and re bid and Blackwater wins it. And they wouldn't even give me a, um, what do you call it? A, a review or kind of a debrief. And when they finally legally were required to, we, we held their feet to the water. The, the contracting shop said, well, Blackwater's staffing plan was superior to yours. And yet we had set up the whole thing and just kicked ass. And the next day, Blackwater hired every single one of my guys who was oh on my that gosh. contract. So it was a cl- what they call bait and switch. And I lost a $10 million contract that would have been huge for us. But it was the right thing to happen to me because I did not belong in that, in that world. I did not belong in government tra- contracting. Had I stayed there, James, I would never have developed SealFit, never would have written these books, never would have you know, gotten into corporate training. But let me, let me ask this you. This shit like, happens for a reason. You know what I mean? It really does. But, so, but, but like, let me ask you, like you didn't, at the time that this was happening, you didn't know what the future had in store. You probably were thinking like every day, man, I got this contract. I'm going to make millions. I'm going to, it's going to be so great for my business, my family, you know, the people I like to help. I'm going to be able to share what I have. And, and then when it doesn't come through, you don't yet know the future. How did you bridge the gap? So I had, you know, the core practice and that was the final time, by the way. I mean, I, I gotten hit, hit pretty hard some other times. And I've had some smaller ones since, but every time I, you know, I learn a little bit more and I look back, I'm like, oh yeah, that was why it happened. And I, 
you know, commit to never making that mistake again. But every you know, since then, I had to go back to my core training that I did before I joined the SEALs, and that was on the bench, you know, meditation and imagery. And before, you know, I was all pissed, like, I, you know, I was ready to go fight Blackwater and challenge this decision. And I have many people telling me I should do that because it was obvious fraud. And um, I just paused. I, I just pressed the pause button. I said, let me just reflect on this. And not, I don't care if it takes a week. In fact, the president of Blackwater was ferociously trying to reach me because I, I know that he wanted to buy me out of the non-compete I had with all my guys. And he probably would offer me a half a million dollars or something. And I just didn't have the heart to take his phone calls. I didn't want his money. So I just sat and meditated on it for a while. I said, I'm not going to make any decision until I have some clarity. And what that, that silence, instead of like spinning around, I finally was able to kind of settle into it and just ask, is this my future? What is government contracting my future? Is fighting this my future? And I kept getting the intuitive hit that, no, this was not my future. It just didn't feel right. And that this is a blessing in disguise. So it took me about a week to figure that out. And then I went, I released all of my guys, said, go go work with Blackwater. They're going to treat you well, I'm sure. And within three months, I had launched SealFit after that. Because that it freed me up. Like my mind, by hanging on to all that energy, all the possibility of money, all that, you know, all that momentum, by letting it go, boom, suddenly it was like I just erased the whiteboard and then I could look at it with, you know, through fresh eyes. Have you, yeah. that experience occur to you when you've had some of these? Yeah, I mean, I think I went through an 11 year period where I was just miserable because I think what happened was I lost all this money and, and look, I was very happy with the money. At least I thought I was. There's nothing and, wrong with money, right? Money right. helps us do good things. Right. Yeah. It's, and I wasn't like, you know. I'm not a big spender. I'm, I'm kind of a, I don't really buy anything, but I wanted to, I don't know. I felt like this money became the goal rather than just a byproduct of pursuing what I valued. So right. when I made the money, I was a I was a I was really into the rise of the internet. So in the 90s, I just loved this new I thought it was going to be a new artistic creative medium. So I was working for HBO at the time. Mm -hmm. I was doing creative stuff for them and but I also had these computer skills. So I knew how to make a website and maybe there was like five of us in New York City who knew how to make Right. websites it wasn't this easy like mid 90s at the time yeah like 95 96 right and i've been using the the internet since the 80s and and the web since essentially it started like in you know 92 and uh so i had these skills and i was able to uh, build a company specializing in building websites for entertainment companies i didn't really enjoy business but i kind of I, there was this huge demand and i was i was a believer i really had this vision that Every company was going to need a website. I didn't know anything at all about business. I made lots of mistakes, but mm -hmm. even back then, even if you made every mistake in the book, you would still make money if you had these these skills and this vision. Right, right. And so, did you take investment money on, or, or no? I didn't take any investment money on. I, I was profitable from day one. I mean, that's part of the problem. Actually, is I probably that was a period where you probably should have taken investment money on and built a product rather than deliver a service. Right. I always, I always was taught oh, be profitable, that, uh, don't lose money. But this was a right. period where you made more money, the more money you lost. And, <laughs> and so I was, when I sold the company, I still sold it for a lot of money, but it was based on my earnings rather than on a product that I had developed. Even though I was a software guy, I could have developed, I did develop many products to help me provide the services I provided. But 
so I wasn't a good businessman and I made this money and that made me think, oh, I'm a genius. I can now invest, even though I knew nothing about anything in terms of business or investing mm -hmm. at the time. Now I've, it's much later, but I lost this money. And then I spent the next 10 years doing nothing but trying to get this money back. Mm -hmm. And just focusing on money as your goal is such a depressing goal. Oh, I mean, horrible. I was, I, know. <laughs> I was constantly, I mean, I hate to say it, but like, you know, particularly when I was at my low point, you know, the three or four times I was like dead broke after having money, I would always be suicidal. But, I, you know, fortunately I had two kids and that, and I was, you know, I, I, I didn't know how to, I, I want I, there was one point I wanted to figure out how could I kill myself without hurting myself? So that, <laughs> Cause I didn't want to hurt myself. Sorry. That's not funny, but it is sort of funny. <laughs> no, but it's true. And then, and there, it turns out there's no way. I don't like, think I, there is like, that'd be an interesting thought. No, because no matter what you do, either you're going to wake up with like a lot of damage, there's a chance, or you're going to hurt yourself really badly. But then the other thing is I wanted to figure out, you know, I had a life insurance policy. I figured my babies were not old enough to remember me, but there's still, there was all these laws, you know, that you can't kill yourself again. I'm sorry to get so morbid, but, uh, <laughs> Dude, I think every successful person who has lost millions and is staring down the barrel like that is is probably thought, "What the f am I doing?" Right? Oh my god, it was it was. But then it, it happened again and again because every time I was pursuing money as the goal, it would keep happening. And then finally, I was just like, "Screw it, I can't. I've got to. What are my what are my values? Like I always wanted to be in." You know, I started off in working at HBO in the entertainment industry. I was a writer. And so I took a, a big step back and focused on what I valued. It might not even be what made me money, mm -hmm. but I focused on what I valued and I and I made money in other in ways that were a little bit simpler than starting a company. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I I became a much better investor and I figured out the investing style that suited my personality. And there was one time, and so I started writing about and being vulnerable and, and admitting like, this is what, yeah, you might've seen me on CNBC a bunch of times, but this is actually how I got my start is I went broke and then I had to force myself to learn investing, but then I went broke again and I had right, to do it right. again and again. So people were in shock. Like, you're not allowed to admit this. You're not allowed to say that. <laughs> but I just kept writing. The more they would say that, the more I would write even worse things about myself. Right. My son had a gift with technology. With reliable internet at home through the Internet Essentials Program, the world opened up. He's part of this next generation of young people who feel they can thrive. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to help open doors for the next generation with the connectivity and skills they need to build a future of unlimited possibilities. By the, by the way, I love that about you and... Um, in the book that I just put out, Stirring on the Wolf, um, I have these exemplars for how these great leaders are fulfilling these, what I call these seven commitments that forge elite teams, courage, trust, respect, growth, resilience, alignment, and um, excellence. And then I share my disasters for how not to do it, right? Like how I didn't stare down my fear and move courageously, you know, to confront my partners in the Coronado Brewing Company and, you know, how I fell down. And it was so liberating and scary. And so I was thinking about you actually, you know, when I heard you were, we were going to do this podcast, like, wow, that's a muscle too, isn't it? Like to develop the muscle to be honest about yeah. the fact that we're humans and humans are flawed. 
everybody, right? And so I think that's one of the next frontier in leadership. If you want to become a good leader, admit that you're not perfect and go right. out and work on your, your emotional. Well, well, I think that's, that's why I said earlier, I wish someone like you had told me this back in 2000 or 2001 or 2002. I'm not well, sure I could have. <laughs> <2010. someone> <laughs> but but you're, you're right because, uh, you know, I, there's two things that come up in your story that I, that I was just thinking. One is, you know, I don't publish something now unless I'm afraid of what people will think of me. Nice. So that's like, nice. if, if somebody is like, oh, I'm going to write this really great thing and oh, I'm going to take this part out because I don't want people to think I'm a loser or whatever, then I guarantee you it's horrible writing because, mm -hmm. because then they're just in their comfort zone. Then that, what it tells me, if, you, if you're not afraid to publish something, it means somebody has already written it before. And that's mm -hmm. why you're not afraid. If I write, oh, here's the 10 tips to be the greatest millionaire ever. All right. I'll feel, you know, have gratitude every day. And, and you right. don't tell your own stories with that. Someone's written it a million right. times. Someone's written it. If you tell your own stories, that's your fingerprint. Your, your writing then is like a fingerprint of your mind. And, right. and it's unique. And you're the only one who has it. And if it's strong and if you've learned your lessons, it's going to be, a, a, it's going to have a unique perspective that people are going to, are, are going to want to pay attention to. The other thing is, is that vulnerability equals freedom. So when I mm -hmm. finally started admitting, just like I'm sure for you, when I start, finally started admitting, hey, these bad things happened to me 10 years ago, 20 years ago, three years ago, two years ago, today, then if someone else brought it up to me, if someone said, Hey, aren't you that guy that lost everything? Why should I blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I, uh, I already wrote about this. Like you can't phase me. Like I'm not, you, you're not taking me down. You're, you're, you're just repeating what I have already said a million times. So right. you have the, you have a freedom to move around that. I remember when I first went broke, I was so ashamed. Like I put my, I had to put my apartment up for sale. This was right before nine 11. It old, it couldn't sell after nine 11. I put my apartment up for sale and one of my business partners came up to me and he said, Hey, uh, I saw your apartment in the newspaper up for sale. And I'm like, Oh, that's impossible. That's a mistake. And I'm like, <laughs> clearly someone had to pay for an ad in the newspaper to sell my apartment. Like, that's funny. And he, he's just kind of like, okay. He's just sort of like squinted at me. He's like, okay. But he knew I was just lying, but I was so ashamed of saying the truth. Interesting. But, but then there was one time, and this is going to reflect your your that experience you had when you when you meditated. So so I started writing about these tools I ended up using to bounce back and how it had started working for me. I started modeling what worked for me whenever I was on the way up and mm -hmm. what didn't what was I not doing on the way down. And so, so I you started a, a process of self-reflection through journaling, is that yeah, your kind of meditative practice. Yeah, journaling. Awesome. Although, Super although I had the unfortunate habit of I always published whatever I journaled. <laughs> like, <laughs> I couldn't keep anything to myself. But well, but, that's holds you accountable, right? At least to, to put yeah. it out there, right? No, that that's really true because I and and this will sound simplistic compared to your seven steps, but I realized that on the way up, I was always paying attention to my physical health, my emotional health. Meaning, you know, was I only spending time with people I loved and who loved me? Was I spending time on my creative health every day? So mm -hmm. coming up with ideas or writing or doing something creative every day? Was I spending time on my spiritual health? Which mm -hmm. doesn't mean the, the, you know, it just means releasing control of the things I can't control, like not trying to control mm -hmm. the things I can't control. Mm -hmm. So those four things, physical, 
emotional, creative, spiritual health? Was I just doing doing that every day? That was I always would do that on the way up when I reflected back, and mm -hmm. then on the way down, I always had this tendency: oh, I made it again. I don't have to. I, I don't have to do this anymore. I don't you have throttle to throttle back. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then I would always lose it. So, so yeah. there was one time I was um, I was on the set. Uh, so there many things happened, but I started writing about this and, and it resonated with people. And I, and I would write about it in the context of my stories. And so there was one time a few years after this where, and I was starting to build up a, a good career as a writer and my investing was, was, I was bouncing back. I was doing well. And I had this one opportunity where I was on the board of this company and I was given a lot of shares of the company and my shares at one point were worth $9 million. So this was mm. like an incredible thing. And I remember I was on this set of the TV show Billions, which mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, was, I, I knew the writers and it was, it was before they were even on Showtime. They were just uh, shooting the pilot, the very first pilot. And uh, I get this phone call, I get this text message, hey, board meeting in 15 minutes. And I'm thinking to myself, oh man, this is gonna be great. We probably sold the company. <laughs> and Nine million is gonna turn right. into 50 and it's gonna be great. So I get on the phone and they say, all the, all the board members are on the phone call, some of whom I had brought onto the board. And, and they say, listen, our largest shareholder and the, and the chairman of the company owes $90 million to the IRS. And we're in default of our agreements with Wells Fargo. And they're shutting down the company. We're, we're selling off. They're, they're, they're taking all the pieces of the company and selling them off within the next 24 hours. And there's nothing we could do. We're about to be locked out of the offices. Wow. And, I, and I kept trying to come up at this point, I was an idea machine. So I was coming up with idea after idea after idea, like I'll buy it or, or I'll find the, the sellers of all the pieces of the company or, or let's raise money to, let's borrow money to pay back Wells Fargo. I was coming up with all these ideas and they're like, no, no, James, James, sorry, it's done. It's done. Oh, here they are now. We're getting locked out this second. <laughs> wow. And, and so they went to it's zero. It's kind of like something you'd see on billions, right? <laughs> exactly. I, I told them the story later. And, and well, what happened was, is like, I get off the phone and I have got, there's another nine hours left of shooting this episode. I'm out in the middle of nowhere while they're shooting billions. And I said, I was thinking to myself, you know, I can either go home and like cry for the rest of the day and, and then not sleep. Cause I'll be anxious about money and worry and everything. Or here I am on the set of this like great TV show. I could just enjoy myself and I could put into practice all the things I keep writing about. Like this is, mm -hmm. these, this is that moment that I've been writing about. Now I can see if I can, really put you know put this into my life in, a, in an extreme circumstance and i did and just like you it got me back clarity instantly right. and i was able to to function and later on the the writers told me when i told the story to them they told me oh my gosh you were even more energetic in the afternoon asking questions to the director you know talking to the actors learning everything we couldn't yeah. tell anything was wrong and i had a great day and you know, it was a shame about what happened, but I was able to more quickly bounce back and, you know, become anti-fragile instead right. of kind of struggling along. Yeah, none of that shit ultimately when we figure that out, nothing that we build, nothing that we do truly defines us, right? It's yeah, a that's story, a right? It's a story. It's interesting. Um, we can be proud or disgusted by the stuff that we do. But none of it truly defines our ultimate self, you know, and I think that's why I love your four things, you know, physical and emotional and, and creative and spiritual, 
because that spiritual piece, right, is if you can connect to that and always keep that front and center as your center post, then businesses come and go, wealth comes and go, COVID-19 turns into COVID-22, right. and none of it defines us, right? You just kind of ride the wave. Well, it's in control of what you can control, which is your attitude, basically, your emotional state and your attitude and your spiritual center. I mean, that's a really great point because if you think about it, who who are we really as you know individuals or humans? We're not our money, obviously. We're not our clothes. We're not our possessions. But even deeper, we're not really our personality because right. you know I could be upset one day because maybe I didn't eat well or sleep well or whatever, and then the next day. I could be in a better mood or more energetic. And so there's even something deeper there that helps us figure out and, and moderate what our personality is. There's a, there's a, a core. And so whether it's those, you know, seven steps that you have, or whether it's this, uh, core, this, what I call my daily practice of, you know, physical, emotional, creative, spiritual, these things keep whatever it is at the core strong so mm -hmm. that it's much easier later to modulate you know, the outward affecting things like the personality and your relationships with others and your communication to others and, and your trustworthiness and honesty and so on. Right. Yeah. And when you build that, those strength in those areas, my look, the physical is so that, you know, your body can be a, a, an effective vessel. You know, we're kind of renting it right for this lifetime. So why, you know, you wouldn't like go out and just crash a rental car on purpose, right? So you want to take care of it. If you're, the, if you're a good person, you take care of rented property. So take care of your body so you have a, a strong vehicle to carry you all the way through and you're not going to be decrepit and, and hurt. You know, relate this back to COVID. I understand, and this doesn't, you know, I say this not in any way to not acknowledge that people are suffering, especially in your hometown, but most of the people who are suffering were unwell, unhealthy. Right. Right. Diabetes is a big killer. Diabetes kills a lot of people. When you combine a little COVID flu in there, it kills them faster. It's, it's really hard to say that, but it's true. Right. So the disease can be warded off through a, just a very simple daily habituation around movement, exercise, sleep, and nutrition. And that's what you're talking about, physical health, just simple things. And if everyone did that, if we really emphasize that if we promoted it through our, our media and through our um, culture and if we rewarded it with a health system instead of a sick system wow what a change we could make just in that physical but then the physical becomes the emotional because if your body is all racked and ravaged and you know then guess what your emotional energy is not going to be able to flow so you know what might be a temporary spike in anger could turn into weeks of rage which is going to turn into right. disease, which is going to turn into cancer. You know what I mean? So the physical and the mental and the emotional are all linked. And then guess what? If you're all broken down and unhealthy and unhappy and depressed, you're not going to be creative, are you? So your creative outlet stops. So they're all linked. Right. They're totally linked. You know, a lot of times I'll give a talk and someone will, will ask me, what's the most important of the physical, emotional, creative, spiritual? And they would always say, is it the creative? Like, how do I come up with like great business ideas? Right. And like, listen, let me tell you, if you're sick in bed, you're not going to be creative. Right. If you're, if you're, if you're having arguments with your spouse or, or having a, uh, an angry divorce or whatever, you're not going to be creative. If you can't let go of the things you can't control, you're not going to be creative. So they all you need three legs of a chair to, to sit, but it still won't be comfortable. You need four legs to really be able to sit 
comfortably and it's all four legs are build that foundation. And, and I always try to express because I don't, I don't work out every day. I, I try to eat pretty well, you know, but I'm not a, a, a black belt in eight different martial arts. So <laughs> people look at me and they say, oh, well, the physical, he's just saying that it's not, it's not really his lifestyle, but it is. You, you got to start with, it's like you said, the body, we're just renting it. And if I don't take care of it, I'm 52 years old. If I don't take care of it, I'm not going to have much longer of really active, energetic life, physical life, emotional life, and creative life, and then spiritual life, because I'll be too right. racked up in disease and you know health issues. But you're right with the coronavirus, like Spain, for instance, they've been on lockdown for eight or nine weeks, and they just started, today was the first day, I think they were letting little kids out of their homes for the first time in eight weeks. And I'm thinking, man, that is such a shame because it is. <laughs> these little kids, they weren't getting it in the first place, or at least they were asymptomatic and not really transmitting as much as the media will, would let you believe. Right. And you need to, if you're a kid, you, your immune system depends on going outside and getting vitamin D and, and right. moving. Our entire brain is wired to get sunshine in the morning. Right. And, and that's how you, know. you get dopamine released and how you get, uh, you know, energy. Right. Same what's happened around the world and, and, and it's been media and politically run. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I was just, you know, semi-jerkingly calling a scandemic being the reaction. Even in our little town of Encinitas, we had like 34, like, known cases. Nobody seriously ill. We're like a ridiculously healthy town. Like, yeah, off, I know. I've spent the church. Right, it's the yoga capital of the world, the surfing capital of the West Coast. And we live on the beach, right, my wife and I. And we, we literally, in our community, have private stairs to the beach. They closed them. We cannot even go step, we can't, until yesterday, we couldn't step foot on the beach. And yet, you know, the liquor stores and tobacco and weed and everything is an essential business. And I'm like, wait a minute. So, and the kids are all locked down, like you said, like the space, like, why don't it make any sense? Why would you penalize the very things we need for our immune system, for our health and for our happiness and to feel good about ourselves and put everybody on lockdown? And yet you're, you know, promoting things that are going to lead to, you know, problems if you're on lockdown if everyone's you know stocking up on alcohol don't get me wrong we did too because <laughs> it was kind of like a party at first but that got old really quick right anyways it, the the knee-jerk reaction shows a, a severe lack of of wisdom and self-control in all of the leadership and i and i you know i even think i'm not going to put the medical in there because i think the first responders are really working their asses off but mostly political government bureaucracy, it's just lost it in this country. Uh, I know. I'm just, so I'm just so disappointed. And, you know, I'd love to talk to you about that because, you know, everyone thinks, oh, we can't wait till things get back to normal. I'm like, I do not want things to go back to normal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Normal wasn't working, in my opinion. Yeah. You know? No, it, it wasn't. And look, it kind of led, unfortunately, to this situation. And we'll see what happens. But, you know, I, 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 I kind of had, you know, you always have to sort of, catch yourself and remind yourself to get back into the discipline. So when this, when the lockdown first happened, I was convinced it was wrong. I also was trying to cling to certainty mm -hmm. and I needed instead, instead I here I've already expressed, you know, this is me thinking then I've already expressed my, my feelings on the data. I've accurately and rationally presented it in videos and articles, but now I need to take a step back and I need to learn to deal with, the uncertainty that nobody's really going to pay attention to me. <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And that was, that's important too, or else I'm going to be very unhappy. And so I switched from 
you know, I, I started doing, you know, more content based on, okay, well, here's how you, you know, live with uncertainty and here's right, how, right. here are the business models that might work after this is over. And, right. but, but they might not either because we also don't know really what the new abnormal is going to look like. It's, right. it's, it's very uncertain at this point too. So, you know, I had to, I had to myself lean into, you know, acknowledge that there's going to be uncertainty here and, and lean into it and be comfortable with it. Because again, the brain doesn't like uncertainty. We're, no. We'd rather, we, you know, uncertainty makes that fight or flight instinct trigger. And we just sit looking at the computer while our brain is saying, run, and, <laughs> and we don't. And, 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 and so that's, you have to find ways of, of dealing with that uncertainty in our society and because and, uh, you can't run. And that, right. that's what I did. Right. And, that, and that's interesting because I had a similar thing. I mean, I haven't really opined much on it, although it's fun to get in these conversations about it. I'm worried about the suicide and the unintended consequences of all the economic turmoil that's been created. And, and of course, I'm obviously not the first person to think that or to, to be worried about it. You know, we have a foundation to help vets overcome or to ward off the suicide, eventually eliminate suicide in vets because, you know, 22 vets a day committing suicide. It's unconscionable to me. And now they're even, they're suffering worse because the fear is rampant, like you said. And, and many of these vets were on the edge financially anyways and suddenly lose a job or to have their business get squashed. God knows what's going to happen to the suicide rates, you know? I know. And, you know, you, uh, so, so this is one of those things that are being unsaid, which is you can't get data on this. You know, right. it's, it's suicides, it's domestic abuse, it's child abuse, it's, um, what's called collateral fatality. So let's say you had, let's say someone has um, uh, uh, stage three liver cancer and they have monthly tests to see if they've gone into stage four, which is terminal. They haven't right. been able to get those tests the past two months. Right. So there's going to be deaths from that over the next year or so. And it's really a shame, you know, but, but again, even that, like even me asking out loud, like, why isn't anybody talking about this? or saying it in the media or the government or whatever, I can't, I have no control because if I even start to say it, you know, I sort of had to take a step back and say, what am I going to try to accomplish? Well, I think what I'm going to try to accomplish is making people, helping people feel calm and, mm -hmm. and forward thinking and what can they do now right. and not rile people up about, you know, cause I would start posting, well, the Indiana hotline used to get a thousand mental health hotline used to get a thousand calls a day. Now it gets 25,000 calls a day. So mm -hmm. I, there's all this data that's circumstantial about the suicides that are going to happen or happening. And, but it's pointless to, to, you know, it's okay. You and me talking about it on this podcast, but like for me to say it every day, uh, yeah, yeah, I agree that, with that. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Instead I say, look, here's, here's a way to write a book. Here's how I write a book or here's, you know, I try yeah, to focus on that. other things for improvement. And that's one of the best best ways to overcome anxiety is to do something productive and healthy for yourself, like journaling or reading a good book or writing. Yeah. Yeah. Or creative. You know, I am an, uh, I would say I'm not an expert in a lot of things, but I am an expert in teaching um, people how to navigate VUCA, right? Volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. I've been doing it for, since probably 2005 when I launched SealFit. And so I've been asked to do a lot of that. And interestingly enough, though, kind of pursuant to our conversation right here is one of the things that can really help people in navigating VUCA is to maintain a, a much broader perspective and situational awareness. 
right? So it's the skill that I teach SEAL candidates is to be able to laser focus in on their task mission, you know, one thing that they got to do right now, but not lose the forest for the trees. And so, so people say, okay, well, how do we maintain situational awareness? Obviously reading is one thing, um, you know, talking to experts like you've done or listening to experts on podcasts and just soaking it up, not trying to firm up your already established position, but just scanning, constantly scanning from information and letting that right brain just create new patterns that'll be there for you when you're ready to make a decision. This is one of the ways that we really tap our intuition. And so I say, okay, listen, do not watch network news, but, right. but do scan the headlines once or twice a day and just play opposite day with the headlines. So the headlines say one thing and you say, what's the exact opposite? And then you know that your answer lies somewhere in between. And that's, yeah, gonna, that's, that's a point. little information for your brain to just log. And then when the time comes for you to make a decision, you've got a lot more data sets to work with and your intuition will be a lot stronger on things. I think that, I think that's, uh, that reminds me of two things. One is I always think to myself, if someone, if I'm going to argue with someone who disagrees with me, I should know their position well enough that I could argue their side better than them. That's great. So this what way I could know when they're messing up their own argument. And it gives me a, some compassion for their side and B, you know, you know, I could usually find some diplomacy or some, something in the middle that we can agree on. But you know, this is a frustrating time though, because people are so emotional. Like if you say, right. you know, the economy that. needs to reopen, people will say, oh, you want your grandma to die? Right. I don't think I said that, <laughs> but you know, right. I don't know where you would get that, but two out of a hundred thousand pe elderly people die from this. So I clearly don't want anybody to die, but anyway, yeah, it's, it is one of those things that's very frustrating because I, you could look at any headline and you, you, you know, looking at the headlines, I looked at one today where I actually made the mistake of clicking on it. The CDC chief said the second flu will likely be the, the second wave of the coronavirus will likely be much more damaging than this first wave. What? And so I said, oh, that, that seems That's odd. So I, I, I clicked on it. And the only quote from the CDC chief was, there's a possibility that if this comes back when the flu's around, it will be very complicated to diagnose. That's the only thing he said. Really? Now they got that headline from that quote. Right. I tell you what, man, I tell you that the media does a lot of damage with that spurious attitude. You know, I, that's a whole different discussion. I, let's, well, I'll, I'll tell you one media story, though. Okay. I, yeah. I, I used to appear a lot on news shows for, for a bunch of networks, but mostly CNBC. And one time they invited me backstage to see how the, the sauce was made and stuff. And they're doing all their things. And the main executive producer leans over to me and he says at one point, we're just trying to fill the space between ads. Right. I'm thinking to myself, oh my this, gosh. Is the, this is the main primetime show, you know, on a, on a network that, you know, millions of people depend on for their financial news. And they're just trying to like do whatever it is to get people either fearful or greedy between right. to connect the ads. Totally. And they know well that the brain has that negativity bias. It's five times more yeah. geared to look for and latch on to negative information and negative emotions than it is positive. That's pretty fascinating.
they got your back The pride of the fleets The bright swinging frogmen Of the U.T.T. Oh.